Chapter Two of Havelock the Dane by Charles W. Whistler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. King Hodulf's Secret. My father came home heavy and anxious enough, for he did not know how things would go under this new king, though he had promised peace to all men who would own him. We in our place saw nothing of him or his men for the next few weeks, but he was well spoken of by those who had aught to do with him elsewhere. So my father went on trying to gather a cargo for England, but it was a slow business, as the burnt and plundered folk of the great town had naught for us, and others sold to them. But he would never be idle, and every day when weather served we went fishing, for he loved his old calling well, as a man will love that which he can do best. Our two boats and their gear were always in the best of order, and our kinsman, Arngeir, used and tended them when we were away in the ship in summer-time. Now, one evening, as we came up from the shore after beaching the boat on the hard below the town, and half a mile from the nearest houses, and being, as one may suppose, not altogether in holiday trim, so that Grimm and his boys, with their loads of fish and nets, looked as though a fisher's hovel were all the home that they might own, we saw a horseman, followed at a little distance by two more, riding towards us. The dusk was gathering, and at first we thought that this was Jarl Sigurd, who would ask us maybe to send fish to his hall, and so we set our loads down, and waited for him. But it was not our lord, and I had never seen this man before. From his arms, which were of a new pattern to me, he might be one of the host of Hodulf, as I thought. "'Ho, Fisher!' he cried, when he was yet some way from us. "'Leave your lads and come hither. I have a word for you.' He reined up and waited, and now I was sure that he was a Norseman, for his speech was rougher than ours. He was a tall, handsome man enough, but I liked neither his voice nor face, nor did I care to hear Grimm, my father, summoned in such wise, not remembering that just now a stranger could not tell that he was aught but a fisher thrall of the Jarls. But my father did as he was asked, setting down the nets that he was carrying, and only taking with him the long boat-hook on which he had slung them as he went forward. I suppose he remembered the old saying, that a man should not stir a step on land without his weapons, as one never knows when there may be need of them, and so, having no other, he took this. I heard the first questions that the man asked, for he spoke loudly. "'Whose man are you?' "'Sigurds,' answered my father shortly. "'Whose are the boats?' "'Mine, seeing that I built them.' "'Why, then?' "'There is somewhat that you can do for me,' the horseman said. "'Is your time your own, however?' "'If the jarl needs me not.' "'Tonight, then?' "'I have naught to do after I have carried the nets home.' "'That is well,' said the stranger. And after that he dropped his voice, so that I heard no more, but he and my father talked long together. We waited, and at last the talk ended, and my father came back to us, while the stranger rode away northward along the sands. Then I asked who the man was, and what he wanted. He is some chief of these Norsemen, and one who asked more questions of a thrall, as he thinks me, than he would dare ask Sigurd the Jarl, or Grim the Merchant either, for that matter. Seeing that my father did not wish to say more at this time, we asked nothing else, but went homeward in silence. It seemed as if he was ill at ease, and he went more quickly than was his wont, so that presently Raven and little Whithelm, lagged behind us with their burdens, for our catch had been a good one. 
Then he stopped outside the garth when we reached home, and told me not to go in yet. And when the others came up he said to them, Do you two take in the things and the fish, and tell mother that Radbard and I have to go down to the ship. There is cargo to be seen to, and it is likely that we shall be late, so bid her not wait up for us. Then he told me to come, and we left the two boys at once, and turned away towards the haven. There was nothing strange in this, for cargo often came at odd times, and we were wont to work late in stowing it. I did wonder that we had not stayed to snatch a bit of supper, but it crossed my mind that the Norseman had told my father of some goods that had maybe been waiting for the whole day while we were at sea. And then that did not seem likely, for he had taken us for thralls, so I was puzzled, but held my peace until it should seem good to my father to tell me what we were about. When we reached a place where there was no house very near and no man about, he said to me at last, What is on hand I do not rightly know, but yon man was Hodulf, the new king, as I suppose we must call him. He would not tell me his name, but I saw him when he and the Jarl made terms the other day. Now he has bidden me meet him on the road a mile from the town, as soon as it is dark and alone. He has somewhat secret for me to do. It is a risk to go alone and unarmed, I answered. Let me go home and get your weapons, for the errand does not seem honest. That is what I think also, said my father, and that is why I am going to meet him. It is a bad sign when a king has a secret to share with a thrall, and I have a mind to find out what it is. There may be some plot against our jarl, he was silent for a few minutes as if thinking, and then he went on, I cannot take arms, or he would suspect me, and would tell me nothing. But if there is any plotting to be done whereof I must tell the jarl, it will be as well that you should hear it. Then he said that he thought it possible for me to creep very close to the place where he was to meet Hodulf, so that I could hear all, or most of what went on, and that I might as well be armed in case of foul play, for he did not suppose that the Norseman would think twice about cutting down a thrall who did not please him. It was almost dark by this time, and therefore he must be going. I was not to go home for arms, but to borrow from Arngir, as we passed his house. And this I did, saying that I had an errand beyond the town and feared prowling men of the Norse host, which danger being a very reasonable one, Arngir offered to go with me, and I had some difficulty in preventing him from doing so, for he was like an elder brother to all of us. However, I said that I had no great distance to go, and feigned to be ashamed of myself for my fears, and he laughed at me, and let me go my way, with sword and spear and sacks, also which last my father would take under his fisher's jerkin. I caught up my father quickly, and we went along the sands northwards until we came to the place where we must separate. The road was but a quarter of a mile inland from this spot, for it ran near the shore, and it was not much more than that to the place where Hodulf would be waiting. "'Creep as near as you can,' my father said, "'but come to help only if I call. I do not think that I am likely to do so.' Then we went our ways, he making straight for the road, and I turning to my left a little. It was dark, for there was no moon now but save that I was soundly scratched by the brambles of the fringe of brushwood that grew all along the low hills of the coast, there was nothing to prevent my going on quickly, for I knew the ground well enough, by reason of yearly bird-nesting, 
When I reached the roadway, the meeting-place was yet to my left, and I could hear my father's footsteps coming steadily in the distance. So I skirted the road for a little way, and then came to an open bit of heath and rising land, beyond which I thought I should find Hodulf. Up this I ran quickly, dropping into the heather at the top, and sure enough, in a hollow just off the road, I could dimly make out the figure of a mounted man waiting. Then my father came along the road past me, and I crawled among the tall heather clumps until I was not more than twenty paces from the hollow, which was a little below me. Hodulf's horse winded me, as I think, and threw up its head snorting, and I heard its bit rattle. But my father was close at hand, and that was lucky. "'Oh, Fisher, is that you?' he called softly. "'I am here,' was the answer, and at once my father came out into the hollow from the road. "'Are any folk about?' Hodulf said. "'I have met none. Now what is all this business?' answered my father. "'Business that will make a free man of you for the rest of your days, and rich, moreover, Master Thrall,' said Hodulf. "'That is, if you do as I bid you.' A thrall can do naught else than what he is bidden. Nay, but he can do that in a way that will earn great reward, now and then, and your reward for obedience and silence thereafter in this matter shall be aught that you like to ask. This sounds as if it were to peril my life, my father said. I know naught else that can be worth so much as that might be. There is no peril, said Hodulf scornfully. Your skin shall not be so much as scratched. Aye, and if this is well done, it will know a master's dog-whip no more. I heard my father chuckle with a thrall's cunning laugh at this, and then he said eagerly, Well, master, what is it? I will tell you, but first you will swear, as on the holy ring that of what you shall do for me, no man shall know hereafter. What I do at your bidding none shall know, and that I swear, answered my father slowly, as if trying to repeat the king's words. See here then, said Hodulf, and I heard his armour clatter as he dismounted. Then the footsteps of both men shuffled together for a little while, and once I thought I heard a strange sound, as of a muffled cry, at which Hodulf muttered under his breath. I could see that they took something large from the saddle-bow, and set it on the ground, and then they spoke again. "'Have you a heavy anchor?' said the king. "'A great one. Well, then, tie it to this sack, and sink it, to-night, where tide will never shift it. Then you may come to me and claim what reward you will.' "'Freedom, and gold enough to buy a new boat.' Two new boats!' said my father eagerly. Hodulf laughed at that, and got on his horse again. I saw his tall form lift itself against the dim sky as he did so. "'What is in the sack?' asked my father. "'That is not your concern,' Hodulf answered sharply. "'If you know not, then you can tell no man, even in your sleep. Put off at once, and sink it.' "'It is in my mind,' said my father, that I had better not look in the sack. Where shall I find you, Lord, when the thing is in the sea? For as yet I have not heard your name. I think that Hodulf had forgotten that he would have to answer this question, or else he thought that everyone knew him, 
for he did not reply all at once. "'You may ask the king for your reward,' he said, after a little thought, "'for this is his business. "'Now you know that it will be best for you to be secret and sure. "'Not much worth will your chance of escape from torture be if this becomes known. "'But you know also that the reward is certain.' "'The king!' cried my father, with a sort of gasp of surprise. I could almost think that I saw him staring with mouth agape, as would a silly thrall. For so well had he taken the thrall's part, that had I not known who was speaking all the time, I had certainly had no doubt that one was there. Come to Hordolf, the king, and pray for freedom and your gold as a boon of his goodness, saying naught else, or making what tale you will of a hard master, or justice, so that you speak naught of what you have done and that, and maybe more, shall be granted. You yourself will speak for me? I am the king, and think not that the darkness will prevent my knowing your face again, Hodulf replied. There was a threat in the words, and with them he turned his horse and rode away quickly northwards. I heard the hoofs of his men's horses rattle on the road as they joined him, before he had gone far. When the sounds died away altogether, and there was no fear of his coming back suddenly on us, my father whistled, and I joined him. He almost started to find how near I was. "'You have heard all, then,' he said. "'Every word,' I answered, "'and I like it not. Where is this sack he spoke of?' It lay at his feet, a large sack it was, and full of somewhat heavy and warm, that seemed to move a little when I put my hand on it. Still less did I like the business as I felt that. More also, quoth my father, as if thinking of the king's last words. If that does not mean a halter from my neck, I am mistaken. What have we here, son, do you think? Somewhat that should not be here, certainly, I answered. There would not be so much talk about drowning a dog as one might think this to be. Unless it were his wife's, answered my father with a laugh. Then he stooped, and I helped him to get the sack on his shoulders. It was heavy, but not very, not so heavy as a young calf in a sack would be, and he carried it easily, taking my spear to help him. The thrall is even going to take this to the house of Grim the merchant, whom the king will not know again, though he may see in the dark, said he. Then we shall know how we stand. We met no one on our way back, for the town had gone to sleep, until the watchman passed the time of night with us, thinking no doubt that we had fish or goods in the burden. And when we came home, a sleepy thrall opened to us, for all were at rest save him, and he too went his way to the shed where his place was, when he had stirred the fire to a blaze, and lit a torch that we might see to eat the supper that was left for us. Then we were alone, and while I set Arngir's weapons in a corner, my father put down the sack, and stood looking at it. It seemed to sway a little and to toss as it settled down. And now that there was light it was plain that the shape of what was inside it was strangely like that of a child, doubled up with knees to chin, as it showed through the sacking. Hodulf or no Hodulf, said my father, I am going to see more of this. With that he took a knife from the table and cut the cord that fastened the mouth, turning back the sack quickly. And lo, 
gagged and bound hand and foot in such wise that he could not move, in the sack was a wondrously handsome boy of about the size of Whittell, and for all his terrible journey across the king's saddle, and in spite of our rough handling, his eyes were bright and fearless as he looked up at us. Rudbard said my father, what if Hodulf had met with a thrall who had done his bidding in truth? I would not think thereof, for surely by this time there had been no light in the eyes that seemed to me to be grateful to us. Now my father knelt down by the boy's side, and began to take the lashings from him, telling him at the same time to be silent when the gag was gone. And hard work enough the poor child had to keep himself from screaming when his limbs were loosed, so cramped was he, for he had been bound almost into a ball. And even as we rubbed and chafed the cold hands and feet, he swooned with the pain of the blood, running freely once more. "'This is a business for mother,' said father, on that. "'Get your supper and take it to bed with you, and say naught to the boys in the morning. This is a thing that may not be talked of. Now I should have liked to stay, but my father meant what he said, and I could be of no more use, so I took my food and went up to the loft where we three slept, and knew no more of what trouble that night might have for others. End of chapter 2 Read by Tony Foster